Podcast episode 68 Animals, sometimes known as Animal Liberation or Animal Lib, or if you just want to describe it, sometimes called the Watership Down episode. First broadcast on the 11th of February 1980, Monday at 8 10 pm. I'm Dave. I'm Rob. I'm Richard. Now, last week I described You Friend or UFO as one of my personal top five. This week, Animals, it's not a top five, but it is definitely a top ten for me. Again, I really enjoyed this. I will admit, though, right at the start, a lot of it does hinge on the last act, the last five to ten minutes. Richard, what did you think? I actually thought the stuff before the last five minutes was probably the better material. I think it just takes a sudden, sharp turn towards the end. I was certainly entertained enough watching it, though. Rob? It is entertaining. I enjoyed it enough. I, th- I thought it was better than middling. Yeah. It is definitely one of those episodes that finishes in a very different place oh, to for where sure. it starts. But, again, we'll, we'll see how it goes as we go through this. I would certainly argue that it does get from point A to point Z via a very reasonable set of changes. But we'll see how we go. It opens with a shot of Tim Brooke Taylor's Animal Boutique, which actually doesn't really go anywhere because very quickly it changes from being some sort of boutique to being his animal actors agency yes and i wonder even whether that was because the filming was usually done well before the studio session whether there actually was a slight change of emphasis in the script between the filming Mm. and the studio recording i get the feeling it went through a couple of versions but of course it does allow us to lead in what looks like an old lady just feeding the pigeons and then suddenly the old lady produces an Uzi by the looks of it <laughs> from her handbag and proceeds to machine gun the pigeons. Yes, and we find out that it's not an old lady, it's Bill. In drag. Yes. In old lady drag. Mm. Yes. Which used to be a Tim staple. Mm. Mm. Because he's hungry. <laughs> Times were tough in 1980, clearly. <laughs> we go inside of the boutique slash animal agency in which we see that there are a number of animals around, including what I think is the dog from Kitten Kong. Ooh, ooh. okay. I certainly reckon I've seen that dog before. I, I, look, I don't He'd know. He'd be a very at, old dog boy. Uh, at the risk of being dogged, all dogs kind of look the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he was so quiet and placid because he was so old and decrepit. Kitten Kong, 73? 72. Two, jeez. Yeah, so... Oh, look, look, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a dog from somewhere else, but it, certainly I think I'd seen that dog before. Mm. Who knows? Mm. Bill, of course, yes, he shot the pigeon because he is hungry. Yes. And then he says, pigeon is his favourite thing to eat for breakfast. Although he'd much rather have dead pig. <laughs> <laughs> Yummy dead pig. Yes. Or dead bar lamb. <laughs> yes. Although at this point, Tim has lost his patience and says to him, why don't you get out of those ridiculous clothes and get into your ridiculous clothes? <laughs> Tim introduces us to a number of his animal stars, including Raquel the tortoise. I did very much like the bit, because clearly times are a bit tough in the animal boutique and they haven't had any work for a while. You know, please, please ring to the telephone. Please, 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 please ring. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that is Captain Greyboots, the fearless lion tamer who needs a few lines before his <laughs> yeah. show. He does the whole bit. He's got the whips, the chairs, the whole thing. It's just missing that certain something. What? <laughs> lions. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And eventually, Tim says he doesn't have many lines. How many? Not many. How many is not many? Well, none. <laughs> Any tigers? No. Panthers? No. <laughs> Leopards? He's got a nose bowl. I do actually love the bit where he's sitting there and he says, I've got just the thing you need. Shabunkins. With <laughs> a little bowl of goldfish. Now, what is a shabunkin? Is it just a goldfish? It's obviously a type of goldfish, I would say. Yeah, fish shabunkins as well. <laughs> yes, which leads into all those jokes about, you know, see him put his head in the shabunkin's mouth. And <laughs> yeah, back Moby, back, back Moby. He's <laughs> on the chair. The fearless shabunkin tamer. <laughs> It'll be unique, if nothing else. Yes, they're not, not exactly fierce, are they? No, but Graham reckons that he can train them. And Tim and Graham have a bit of a dispute over how you should train animals, with Tim saying that kindness costs nothing. But cruelty is more fun. <laughs> <laughs> and look, they do get a lot of gold out of some of those props. The nose vole is one that comes back several times in the episode, and what is basically just a piece of string. You notice the audience really latch on to that because they have the first bit where he's got it up his nose and, he, and then you watch the hanky take off across the... Yes, and then it just randomly appears in people's noses as the episode goes on. Yes. Well, then you get some of the other stuff too, like the budgie riding a bike. <laughs> Terence the tap-dancing dog. Oh, dear. Poor Terence. He actually puts in some pretty sterling work in this episode. Very good. He's <laughs> willing to be dog-handled uh, left and right, actually, yeah. without, without really reacting or... A very well-trained animal. Yes, including in the next scene where they go out to raise a bit of cash. And Tim is playing the role of the organ grinder, trying to get the dog to perform, and then gives up. And so just has the dog turning the, <laughs> the organ handle as Tim dances for the uh, for the audience. You notice when they come back in after that, he says, oh, don't worry, Bingo, we'll work yes. something out. That's actually the dog's real name, Bimbo. So, yeah, so there you go. So that that's just a small slip, I suppose. A small dog blooper. Yep, yes. In his absence, though, Graham and Bill have decided to create the animal-based economy, which is just gag after gag of animals used as household appliance. So you've got the dino mouse. Yes, the octopus doing the laundry. The laundry, the sloth peg bag. That's right. And the pegs are actually crabs, Little yes. Little crabs, yes. Little crabs. The snake vacuum cleaner. The hedgehog toilet brush. Who put the handle on Henrietta the hedgehog? Yes. On or up? Uh, it says on. <laughs> the Moppet. Yes, that's right. And then the uh, rather, and that is quite an elaborate prop, the little dog that's turning the treadmill to make the oven work. Yes, yes the hot dog. Yes. That's actually really quite nasty. Yes. It's, look, it's clearly trained to extinction. It reaches out, <laughs> it turns it on, and it knows so it's sort of like the dish of the day type deal from my hitchhikers. <laughs> That's exactly right. And look, it's one of those ones where, as we've discussed a few times in our animal cruelty discussions on this podcast, <laughs> they clearly get away with it because it is so clearly a very badly fake dog. Oh, oh of course. Absolutely. And funnier for it. Yes. yes. <laughs> the lobster's in the fry pan. And then when Graham needs to go off to sell his stuff to the government, he has the octopus clips. Literally has <laughs> octopus clips. <laughs> and that's a really funny sequence. And it is probably almost the zenith of the goodies animal prop humour. Yeah. Both animal humour and prop humour and some of the goodies, particularly Graham, has mined now for eight years. Yeah. Yep. And I think this is actually the height of it. Where it's, it's almost like eight years of 
work has all come together. It's culminated in this. In this. Really, all you're missing is a pet's corner routine, actually, just to boot at home. Yeah, well, and the nose vol isn't far off that. No. Sure, so. Plus, of course, they've got the little, I don't know what they're meant to be, ferret or whatever they are, that are actually pulling the roller skates. Yes. They look a bit like that worm thing out of Vision On. At this stage, look, presumably Graham is successful because we now get the news coverage of Britain having moved to an animal-based economy. Yes, well, the next bit is clearly some time later. Yes, yes. Because, again, I'm not the news at 10. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, indeed, they actually get one of the stars of Not the 9 O'Clock News to do the news reader. Exactly, yes. yeah. Yes. I'm not sure if they'll feel the same way about that in a couple of years' time. But... No, maybe not. <laughs> and there's some really clever stuff there about the graphics, particularly, where they, they get rid of coal and nuclear and all the rest of it and just use animal-based power. Yes, that's one of my strongest memories from that episode, from watching it, the, the cleverness of what they've done. Yeah. But the problem, of course, is that now the animals are being oppressed and they're clearly part of the economy, so they need rights. And we now have the passing of the Animal Discrimination Act. <laughs> now, interestingly, we basically go all the way from Graham's idea, let's use animals, through to the Animal Discrimination Act, yes. all as one mm. use piece. Yes, basically. Because you have the scene where they go out with the octopus where Tim says he's going to stand up for animal rights. And then, yeah, suddenly now the animals are starting to unionise or whatever, and yeah. they now want to be recognised. You get now the column of ants that yes. present the two billion signatures <laughs> to the ant petition. Petter would love this episode <laughs> at this point. And at this point, yeah, you now start seeing animals as just a part of British lifestyle. So you have Anna Fawn reading the news. But that's a kind of freakily scary prop, actually. That, <laughs> that costume, whatever it is that's doing it, that, that freaked me out as a kid. And even as an adult... I was a little bit strange to have planned. Morning at Uncanny Valley, perhaps. Well, it is a bit. I mean, the other two, at least, I mean, you've got, like, what is it, Gordon Honeycomb, who's just the beehive, and then, <laughs> then, then the sort of the stuffed gull sitting on the sandy gull. They're all riffs on actual newscasters. But... Yeah. So we cut back into the goodies office, and they want equality. So Bill decides, well, the cat sits on him, so he'll sit on the cat. <laughs> Which turns out to be surprisingly uncomfortable. So. Yes. <laughs> and then it's like, Meow, shut up. And then one throws it behind the couch. Yeah, the bit where they torment poor Terence the dog a little bit more. <laughs> he sits there, you know, I want my dinner. Bill puts a little hat on him. <laughs> <laughs> but Graham and Tim haven't got time for dinner because they're about to watch one of their new programs. Yes. Which is Life on Presenters. Mm. Now, this is a very clear homage slash ripoff of Life on Earth, which was the big David Attenborough documentary. Yes, the first really big landmark documentary series that he did. Yeah. This made his reputation as a documentarian or at least a presenter, is that right? As an animal naturalist documentary producer, yeah. Now, he's from the Attenborough acting family, yes? Yes, he's yes. Richard's his brother. Uh, he'd, he... he'd been controller of BBC too at that point. Certainly that, he'd done a lot of producing. Yeah. Uh, he produced a lot of stuff. He was producer of the Queen's Speech for quite a while. Hmm. Uh, so done a lot, lot of background stuff. But yeah, Life on Earth came out in 1979 and it, it is still recognised today as groundbreaking in terms yeah. of what it did. It was followed a couple of years later by The Living Planet and yeah. then I think in 1988 they had The Trials of Life and, and since then just, you know, that slew of David Attenborough yeah. stuff. Every, every few years you get another Attenborough series. Yeah, but Life on Earth, yeah, it was a game changer in terms of, of all that sort of thing. And so we get to see Graham basically give us a whole five minutes of being David Attenborough. You know, lovely safari suit, I think. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, again, that's what, what Attenborough was wearing back then, but it does put a lot of the more famous aspects of Life on Earth, particularly the stuff with the gorillas, which was, you know, a big deal. The shot of Attenborough and the gorilla colony was, you know, one of the big marketing points of the, the drama. So you get 
him in the colony of Bellamy's, I think it is. It really is very much a potted history of popular naturalist presenters. You have... As opposed to naturist presenters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did say the word naturalist. Yes, so you have Armand and Michaela Dennis, who were probably the very first ones to present those sort of nature programs on TV. The, the two stones he has at the start. I must have I didn't recognise them. Oh, they, they're like early 50s. Yeah. Uh, after them, the next two he pulls out are the couple that are fished out of the sea, which were Hans and Lottie Haas. They were one of the first ocean nature program presenters pre-Jacques Cousteau. Yes, who is the next one with the marine Cousteaus? Yes. As a seal colony? Yes. And then, of course, the last one after that, we then get Jonathan Miller, who just released a series called Body in Question, which went through different aspects of the human body, which, which was a big landmark series. We then get another appearance of one of our favourites, Patrick Moore, <laughs> who is presenting at night. He cover up his good eye. And he can barely see. <laughs> And again, Patrick Moore totally getting the joke and just playing along with yeah. it really, really well. And then, of course, we get the Bellamy's. Yes. David Bellamy, of course, was a famous botanist and environmental activist. For those in Australia who remember the Franklin Dam incident, yes. he was one of the ones who was actually arrested and imprisoned briefly during that. Yes, that's true. During that um, saga. Yeah. Uh, but he had a very bizarre presenting style. And I can remember even when he had a couple of specials here on the ABC, the letters that were written into Backchat, which was mm. the ABC's letters program, where they were just wondering why this guy was going around ripping up plants and sort of destroying <laughs> the reserve. So this whole thing where the goodies sort of talk about him just destroying the landscape, yeah. it, it was this really strange thing that he did. And I haven't seen any of him as an adult to kind of get if maybe he had an intent there, or he was just a crazed botanist. Uh, he was certainly very enthusiastic, very bullion, and very larger than life. It's sort of a bit like if Brian <laughs> Blessed was a botanist, <laughs> I almost think, but... And sort of, I guess, would run through the undergrowth, sort of knocking stuff down in his wake and... Uh, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they're exaggerating here, but I, I do remember there being complaints about yes. that sort of thing when he was on. So this this wasn't just something invented. There no, was, I, I do there remember... Was something he, in it, yeah. Yeah, I do remember his series being on. I'm actually almost surprised because I think um, Gerald Durrell would have done the Overloaded Ark, I think, somewhere around this time, but he's not really featured here. At this point, Bill decides that he wants to have rights for vegetables as well. <laughs> Let's just Bill trying to show yes. the ridiculousness yes. of, of the concept by saying, well, if they have animals, they will have vegetables. And he goes on to the BBC to do a chat show and argue yes. in favour of this contention. <laughs> the Rabid Frost Program. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At which point Tim and Graham are watching and they say, I have a feeling he's going to do something we'll regret. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Rabid Frost, or, or a dog, it's very clearly showing what Bill's intentions are when he has the whole slip. I'm very keen to be eating your guest. I mean, meeting your guest. <laughs> and then he goes on his little thing about how he sees the world as one great big melting pot, into which he puts you know, the various metaphors. And then he just gives up. He's just like, an onion, some carrots. A security and... leak. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> And then my dear guest, as he picks up the rabbit, I'm sure we have room for you. And I just love the, the looks as Tim and Graham watching the TV go, No, Bill! Don't eat the guest! <laughs> At this point, I guess this is where, Richard, you were talking about it taking on a whole different turn. The animals are obviously quite upset by the fact of uh, what Bill's done. Yes, eating their leader. Yes, and attack. <laughs> yes. Now, I must admit, I have vivid memories of... That moment where they're behind the door and the paw comes through and you just hear that growling sound. Yes. As a kid, that was terrifying. <laughs> and I guess it's that whole thing of not knowing what's behind it. All you could just hear are the growls and everything. Mm. And I remember just that, that image just being a real shocking one. But they decide they need to hide, so they all get into rabbit costumes. <laughs> and suddenly we're doing Watership Down. Mm. 
Yes. So Watership Down, for those who aren't familiar or need reminding, was of course a book. I've got a copy sitting right here by Richard Adams. Oh, here's which was, one. <laughs> <laughs> which was published in 1972. But what they're particularly referencing is the animated movie which came out in October of 1978. And this again was quite a big cultural touchstone. Uh, when you look at the cast now, it was narrated by Michael Horndon, or now yep. the deceased Sir Michael Horndon, but it had John Hurt, Richard Bryars, just a whole cast of very familiar people. And I watched this movie a couple of years ago. Look, it is based on a very strange book, <laughs> but it is a very strange movie. And the animation is very... It's kind of pseudo-Japanese in some ways. Mm. And the way they represent stuff like the spirit animals and stuff is very, very trippy, let's say. And they do sort of capture into that spirit in here. I remember seeing Watership Down. I remember it was shown at school. I'd have probably been about 12 or 13, I think. I remember we were all pretty freaked out by <laughs> this nice cartoon. Then five minutes in, one of the animals is basically being garroted in a trap. Yes. And um, then they have the visions of the blood coming over the horizon and... Yeah, it was really a, freaky stuff. I, yeah. I don't, to be honest, I don't know that I've ever seen it again since then. But okay. too traumatised. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> yeah, it is an odd film, but it was a big cultural moment when it came out. It was quite a successful film in the UK. Partly, of course, because it used Art Garfunkel's Bright Eyes as part of the theme and part of the music throughout, which the goodies do as well here. Yes. Now, during the week when I was watching this, because the copy I had wasn't the best, I did text you, Richard, and ask if this was the uh, Garfunkel version or a cover. Yeah, I believe it was a cover. It's not by Bill, it's by Dave McRae. Yeah, I actually thought it might have been a Bill Oddie cover, just listening to the mm. vibes, but I, I couldn't quite pick it. But, but let's deal with this whole sequence because you do get a sequence that goes for about six or seven minutes. Mm. All of them in rabbits basically trying to escape from the other animals, all with bright eyes in the background. It is incredibly memorable. And, and you don't think that's surreal in any way? No. <laughs> I didn't say it wasn't surreal. As I said, they are clearly homaging a very surreal and strange movie, so it's quite appropriate that it is. Mm. And yeah, the, the bright eyes stuff, but I think it is really, really clever and really, really funny. Um, like the stuff with the owl, the barn owl chasing down Patrick Moore. Oh, well, that, that's the bit in the movie where one of the things yes. killed by the hawk, yes, I think, isn't right. it? Yeah. Or, you know, them crossing the road and Bellamy. Bellamy, where's Bellamy? You've been very quiet through this, Rob. What uh, what are your Watership Down experiences? Well, I don't recall ever having seen it. I do remember this particular sequence. Mm. It is very, very different from the episode itself, I think. It's almost mournful in tone, in a sense, Mm. even though they're still looking for the laughs. And you can see the way when they put on the rabbit noses, they change their performance, the three leads. They'll Uh, never hurt their own kind. And it's interesting where animals at the beginning of the episode are there for our entertainment or use, and then it goes all the way to humans become the animals in a sense. Mm. Yes. And then just the ending is just, you know, a welter of death basically. So, yes. I've got notes here. It reminds me of Blake Seven crossed with Wild Bunch, crossed with uh, <laughs> Watership Down. So, with a bit of Blackout, it goes forth in there as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, it is. Again, they, they very clearly reference Watership Down, as what you said, Richard, there's bits mm. from the book that are mimicked. And, you know, the whole sort of tone of, you know, we must get away from this terrible place. But also the joke's in there, like, more, you go first, you can see in the dark. <laughs> or indeed Bellamy bringing the tunnel down on top of them because yes. he's pulling on the roots. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think they do. It, it is very, very maudlin in tone. Mm. But there are lots of really good gags in there. It gets very maudlin, though, and I think very weird, where they have the whole thing with the guns in the cameras in the flowers which is just 
That is just surreal. Yeah. Yes. But again, a very strange way to end the episode, which is just to gun down the goodies. Well, their corpses are just lying there, and then we just have the real rabbits just yes. hopping around them, you know. Turn, life, turn up bright eyes. Yeah, life begins anew. Yes. As if they've been born from the corpses of the... Uh, yeah. There are four bears. Oh, of course, and, and then we have the bit where the rabbit jumps over the moon at the end and just gets, gets shot, shot down. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, that's not the final end, because then we have... That was the end of that series. Next week, a new series. The Doggies. <laughs> With these three poor dogs who've obviously had their front paws strapped to the handlebars on the bike. As they back project it. Yes. Yes. I always used to hate that when they'd come on the ABC because I knew that 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 was the end of the run. Yeah. For whatever reason. And that's a good point because I was about to go exactly there, Rob. For some reason, I don't know what this is, War Babies was always shown much earlier in the run when the ABC produced it, and this was the last episode the ABC would show in a repeat run. Yeah. So, particularly when you're younger, not only do you get the goodies being gunned down, but then you get the whole, well, you know, this series is now over, so there isn't that whole thing of, oh, they've been gunned down, but they're back next week. <laughs> they've been gunned down, and that's it. They've been replaced by dogs. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> next week, monkey. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it, it was, as you say, Rob, it was always the last one in the repeat screens. Well, I suppose you can imagine if somebody at the ABC who you know, probably was just looking through the tapes, oh, they all die, so that must be the last one. Mm. Uh, yeah, which, which always made it even more sad to watch as a kid, because, yeah, you didn't have that thing of, oh, well, they've been blown up, but they're back tomorrow. Yeah. And they've been blown up, and they're not coming back for a while. Mm. That's right, Till we get to the end of having screened the ghost of Mrs. Muir again, in which case the goodies will be back. Yay! <laughs> but that's okay, in five minutes we'll have Doctor Who. Ah, uh, classic days, classic days. So something we've been talking about all the way through this series, I want to have it now. I really, really have enjoyed series eight so far. It's got a number of really funny episodes, a number of what I think are iconic episodes, and ones that are very much my favourite. However, I want to have the discussion briefly this is now, I think, the third version of the goodies do a film or a set of films mm. in this one season. So, I mean, they obviously have Saturday Night Grease, the episode, which is a reference to Grease and Saturday Night Fever. Uh, last week we had Euphred Ufo, which does Close Encounters, it does Star Wars, it does Superman. This episode we have them doing a version of Watership Down. I enjoy all three of those episodes. I'm not digging them for that. They're all entertaining. But compared to some of the inventiveness that the goodies have been done in the past, is just doing a rip-off or a comedy version of whatever the big film of the moment is. is. Is that a little bit easier or a little bit cheaper than what they've done? Are they kind of going the easy path here? I'll put it out not to knock them, but to discuss. Interesting question, because Series 8, I think, is different in tone from the earlier. And again, I mean, we mentioned it at the start of politics that for UK viewers, there was a two-year gap between having seen Earth and Asia and then the goodies coming back with politics. I mean, for us, it's only, you know, even allowing for recording, it's only a few weeks. Mm. So, you know, next episode, really, for us. Series 8 is very different in tone. It's more outright parody than them actually riffing on a subject, for want of a better term. You know, they have something to say about this particular social phenomenon. Yes. This is really just them doing their version of it. I mean, look, you can probably even argue in politics there's the whole Evita uh, lift in that as well. Yeah, so they really are mining pop culture mm. just to do satire. And satire is very important, has a place, but I don't think that this is as inventive as the peak of what they were doing a few years ago. I think it's an easier way for them to do it. 
I think that we've seen that in previous years they've requested that they only have a short run, not do 13 episodes or whatever it is. Um, so I think that maybe at some point Phil and Graham have found that the writing can be very hard if you're looking at sort of social issues like, say, South Africa or something like mm. that. So maybe it's much, much easier to go for the obvious jokes that you would find or the obvious parody that you would find in, in taking off a movie or a, a play or something like that. So through the entire run of this season, I think the quality has more or less stood up. It's just how they're presenting the material or where they're sourcing the material from is is different because it's easier for them to do so. Yeah, and they have done satire in the past. We've seen The Godfather, we've seen Jaws, setting up on television, that sort of thing. They, they do do that. That is part of the good mm. shtick. Mm. But, you know, in this season, what you're not seeing is something like Earthanasia or even something like Bunflight at the OK Tea Room, which is very inventive. Yeah, having said that, had the issues they had producing this season not arisen, like the strike action, etc. The last episode in this season would have been Change of Life, which really is them analysing the whole series. You know, they are now three nearly 40-year-old men. It's incredibly meta. Yes. As we'll discuss in a few weeks' time. Their plans for this season were cut short, so we would have had a, another, like an euthanasia, which is fairly you know, a self-examination episode probably to round the season out with. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And as I say, I don't knock it because I enjoy all of those episodes I've just mentioned. I really enjoy them. But it, it is a big change for them. And, and I think you're right, Rob, it is probably a reflection of the fact that they are themselves slowing down a bit. Yeah. The only note I did have, the rabbit suits they made for these were apparently reasonably expensive. There's been the point made that they turn up again in other series over the years. Fairly sure if you're a Young Ones fan, there's an episode there, time in the second series, where Dawn French comes in as the Easter Bunny. Oh, yes. I'm pretty sure that's one of those suits. Okay. There, so, yeah. Well, I really enjoyed this episode. It is in my top ten. Nothing we've discussed here assuages me of that or changes my view of that. I, I think it's clever, it's fun, it covers a lot of material, it moves around a lot, and the last five minutes is, I think, extremely memorable and arguably one of the more iconic sequences. Do you yeah. guys feel any better about it having discussed it, or are you still good but not great? Oh, well, look, as with a lot of episodes, having chatted to you boys about it for the last half hour or so has helped improve it in my mind. It's still better than average, I think, better than average. Yeah, and look, I, I probably maybe was a bit too disparaging at the start. As I said, I was really entertained by this, but it's probably not one I put in my top ten, no. Okay, on that note, we'll move into our regular segments. Tropes and first. Well, let's go with the obvious. Patrick Moore is back. Yes. It's two against one at some point, isn't it? It's two against one a couple of times, really, I suppose. I mean, you got the bit where Graham clearly has left the group and then comes back because right. he's doing his circus act, but then the next scene he's actually fully reintegrated back into the setup again. Yeah, but you also then have Graham and Bill doing the animal thing against Tim, which he's trying to stop. Yes. And then you have Tim and Graham wanting to stop. Bill, Bill from, from eating, eating the animals. <laughs> yes, eating the leader of the animal resistance or whatever it was. <laughs> the animal union. Yes. And there's obviously the rabbit frost. Sorry, David Frost joke. <laughs> but it's not a trophy of the episode. No. No. What couldn't they get away with today? Well, the Japanese fishermen. Um, yes. With the hats. And the dubbed voices. Yes. Yeah, yes. I think you might struggle with that now. You think? <laughs> I actually think that when you look at a lot of the trends we're getting in culture today, particularly social media, and, and what would be called in inverted commas the social justice warrior trends, this idea of animals and then vegetables getting rights, I think you could get a lot of material out of this. <laughs> and indeed, I'm actually reminded last year, the UK comedian Simon Amstel 
did a mock documentary that was said about 10 years in the future, talking about how back in the old days, you know, our parents used to eat animals <laughs> and how the animal revolution happened and no one eats them anymore and all that sort of thing. It actually is very similar in tone to this. So I think if you were making this episode again today, you would do a lot of the same thing very differently. But I actually think it's quite topical in some ways. Yeah, I agree. Mm. I agree. That uh, said, pig tastes wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that you do the bit with the three dogs like strapped to the bike now. Well, you'd do it with computer generated yes. now, so you wouldn't have um, to. Or, or Tim actually trying to stir up the shebunkins. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'd do that anymore. Don't tap either. on the glass. <laughs> well, I think it's actually put your hand in there and swish it around a bit. I don't think you'd be allowed to do that now. Yeah. All right, our favourite gags. Richard? I'm going to go for a visual gag. There's a bit where they're using the animals in the kitchen and Tim asks them how the animals were trained and Bill says, oh, no, it was done with love and care, wasn't it, Graham? And you cut to Graham, it's got like a riding crop and a whip just leering over the mouse. <laughs> that was really funny. Uh, I'm going to go for two words because I don't know why they make me laugh, but they just do, and that's just the Bellamy, Bellamy. <laughs> <laughs> that whole sequence I really love, but that particularly is my favourite. Rob, what about you? Bill waxing lyrical about the virtues of bacon. As someone who appreciates bacon regularly. I, I think we all appreciate bacon. Mm. And, and I'll put a final shout-out to Terence the dog, or Bimbo, to give him his real name. He did some sterling work in that episode, Bimbo. <laughs> So we're almost at the conclusion of Series 8. I think a series we have all really enjoyed so far. Highs and lows, we've all enjoyed it. It finishes next week, though, with War Babies. On your way to buy Churchill cigars, you may just take a walk in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. Only a few minutes ago, this slope was virgin rainforest, like that one. And now, the whole hillside has been laid waste. Not a tree, not a plant left. And the damage has been done by this creature, who, if we wait very quietly, will show himself in a minute. And here he is, the Bellamy. <laughs>